0: Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari and this is a great big history podcast. And in this lecture, we do the military revolution, the rise of the great powers, the plight of the middle powers, the eclipse of the world, 1520 1789. This is where I get to do my stuff. So, this is this, this, this is nice. Sweden from 1520 to 1721 built the New Legions, quote unquote. They were called the New Legions at the time. They were the first professionalized infantry army in Europe since the Romans. The king as the leader, the nobility as the officers and cavalry, the citizens as a musket infantry, and a backup sword cavalry. What this led to and why this happened is an idea called the military revolution, which was popularized by Michael Roberts, who is a English historian of Scandinavia, of Sweden in this period. Basically, I had to read all of his books in order to even get started on my stuff. And his argument is the creation, training, outfitting of a professional army required an efficient bureaucratic government and the education to support it, the professionalization of an officer corps, and government's role in economic development and purchasing. All of that caused a political revolution, the rise of democratic institutions to gain consent from the public for taxes and military service i.e., the birth of the modern nation-state becoming the identity. That the people of Sweden were tied to their king and tied to their nation of Sweden-Finland, the Swedish-Finland-Finnish Empire, and that they were tied to that. And you have this, this... military revolution that creates a political revolution in government in order to support all this stuff. And so this is the argument, why do Europeans are able to win when other states, the Ottomans or the Qing or the Mughals aren't? Why do they stop advancing? Why do they stop developing? Why don't they conquer the world? This is basically our argument why Europe conquers the world, this 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 lesson. So what are the results? Well, organization and efficiency created power for small states, starting with Sweden, but states that copied its model, England, the Netherlands. Two, technology matters, education matters, especially artillery. The Swedes are at the forefront of this. The Turks were too, but the Swedes had good iron, had a lot of copper and excellent iron, and their guns were able to be made smaller and lighter. Suleiman, as we discussed, his problem was he had these big heavy guns that got bogged down in the mud. The Swedes are able to create guns that are carried by one horse and moved around the battlefield at will. Three, government requires popular support. In the Swedish model, the king provided leadership. Swedish kings went to war. They led their armies. That's going to get... Two of them, Gustavus Adolphus and Charles XII, killed in battle. Both of them will be shot in battle. Uh, Charles XII's death is going to be one of the great murder mysteries of history. They've, they've, they've uh, opened up the tomb th- three times to investigate Charles XII's wounds to determine whether or not he was shot by his own men. Was he shot by a sniper, a Norwegian sniper, who happened to get like this super great shot? Or tired of war, was he shot by his own men? <clears throat> but a massive change happens with Louis XIV's France from 1661 to 1715. So the Swedes are efficient, but their army is 35,000, 40,000. They will hire mercenaries, and Gustavus Adolphus' army in the Thirty Years' War will get up to 100,000, 150,000 people. But very few of those were actually Swedes. The Swedish army stayed more or less consistent at 30 000 to 40,000 men. Louis XIV's army, on the other hand, is going to go from 35,000 to 400,000. Napoleon, a century later, will invade Russia with 600,000 men while having another 300,000 or so Frenchmen in Spain and another, I don't know how many, stationed throughout Europe. By the f- a century later, We're talking tens of millions of men under arms. So while the Swedes initiate this efficiency model, the ability to do more with a small population, Louis is able to, to change what is basically the regular size of an army throughout most of history, 30,000-40,000 troops, into 400,000 troops. And the results? Usually size equals the bigger army, the bigger army equals victory. It's usually brute force. It's as simple as that. And Louis is going to fight all over the Rhineland. His, His goal is to defeat the Netherlands, defeat the Dutch. He's constantly fighting in England, but his real goal was to, was to kind of overwhelm the Dutch. Another kind of Swedish-type model. Small, efficient. Now, the Dutch are going to be t- getting their money from trade and have a massive navy. We're going to see that later. But their problem is they're a low-lying country on the border of France. So the size of this army, the bigger the size, equals massive cost. Remember, armies are the biggest, most expensive things humans have ever created. And so the king needs more power. And that power means to tax peasants. And so we're going to get absolutism. Something that never exists in Sweden. Sweden has a parliament. Sweden has a parliament with a peasant section in it. It's got the peasantry. It's got the uh, clergy. It's got the nobility. And it's got the merchant class. Even England doesn't have that. Now, English historians will tell you, well, the peasants are represented within the House of Commons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also know that's not actually true. We also know most of the members of the House of Commons were in rich gentry who kind of picked who would go and represent them from a small clique of groups like that's true too and so the Swedish model had more inclusion the Brits will increase that as time goes on but in France we get absolutism and we get the pinnacle of absolutism like every every absolutist king will want to be Louis or wish he was Louis. A strong military king, a godlike image of a king, an independent king, why? By controlling the revenue, by controlling the army, and by, tr- by controlling the courts. So controlling the legislative, the executive, and the judicial branches, That gave the king absolute power. So advantage, lots of money, lots of control, lots of ability. Disadvantage, you need to be a good king. There's a limitation on hours in the day. And you have to sleep six to eight of them. And so if you're not a hard-working king, look at Suleiman the Magnificent's successors. 13 in a row that are terrible. Why? Because they had money, and they were lazy, and they didn't want to work that hard. And there's other reasons, but some of it is very personal. Louis XIV was the hardest-working king in Europe. That's how he got that much power. What this all means is that small states end up eclipsed. Sweden, the Dutch, and large states copy Austria, Russia. Sweden will lose its war to take over Prussia. That's my period in the 1650s. And in losing that, despite defeating the Danes and kind of making the modern borders of Scandinavia, the loss of prussia the loss of gaining control of prussia meant the swedes never got the the trade revenue they would need in order to break free we're going to see that is an is an issue next the dutch had that trade revenue they actually had the control of trade in prussia the problem was they were lived on the border of france and so where where do you, what do you do with your army you have to keep it there And it just got hammered and hammered and hammered and hammered by this much larger army. The Swedes will eventually, by 1721, be overwhelmed by Russia, which in many ways copied Peter, Peter the Great became Peter the Great because he defeated the Swedes. I actually wrote once a counterfactual called Peter the Who, and it was, what if Charles XII of Sweden did not invade Russia? Yeah, in 1709, the Swedes actually invaded Russia. Long before, a century before Napoleon and long before the Nazis, the Swedes invaded Russia and lost in, at the Battle of Poltava, one of the kind of turning point battles. And the Russians were able to build St. Petersburg and overwhelm the Swedish Empire in the Baltic. Hence the Swedes decline, just like the Dutch decline in essentially the same period, the 1700s. Large states, Austria, which has this massive Eastern European empire, Hungary and the Balkans, they'll copy France, become absolutist, create these large armies. Austria will invade France in 1789 to try to put Louis XVI back on the throne. And fight and keep losing to Napoleon. Russia, on the other hand, will kind of steamroll, having gotten invaded by Napoleon, will steamroll all the way to Paris. Russian troops entered Paris in 1813. So. What we have is the eclipse of small states, the rise of these big states, and that is true except for England. England is the small state and is able to weld the Swedish efficiency model, the small state efficiency model, but with the Spanish-French imperial model. The idea of a small, efficient, wealthy state with lots of land and wealth outside of Europe. The colonies to bring in money. See, England, and later after 1707, Britain, with the absorption of um, Scotland, Britain is a small country. Its population is tiny compared to France or Spain. So how is it able to, how, how is it able to keep up? And the answer was by controlling land outside of Europe. Something the Dutch did a bit of, they controlled trade more than the land, but they they had this land border with France and got hammered. The Swedes tried to own land, imperial land within Europe, in Prussia, in Northern Poland, in the bulk in the Baltic, um, what is today Latvia and Lithuania and Estonia? They also, like the Dutch, tried to control the trade routes or the estuary points between trade. They taxed the trade along the way. England escapes that by getting land outside of Europe. The advantage. England's an island. It, it needed a navy, and having a navy protected its home and its colonies, unlike France and Sweden, which both needed land and sea. Unlike the Austrians, which don't have a navy. I mean, there is a little navy, but it's not important. Austria is a land power. This is also like the Ottomans, who also have to divide their money between land and sea. And the Ottomans have the problem of being in the Mediterranean and the Indian Ocean. Financial innovations, the ability to build a navy caused a financial revolution. We've talked about this in the colonies section, in the New World section, that building a navy and building what is the infrastructure for trade caused a fiscal revolution. Banking, finance, companies, stock markets. That created more economic development, industrialization, which we'll talk about, which equals more money. That more money created more armies and navies, which created more colonies, which created more money. And this is Paul Kennedy's rise and fall of the great powers. This can also be seen in Amazon's flywheel idea, that each new improvement feeds back the energy to keep the improvement going, that... Fiscal innovations created more economic development, which created more money, which created more armies, which created more colonies, which created more money. And it, it just keeps going. It feeds, its energy feeds upon itself. And this is this is Paul Kennedy's Rise and Fall of Great Powers, which is the book I read when I was 16 and made me want to be a historian. The disadvantages... It's an entire system built on African slavery and exploited labor. The looting of mineral wealth and natural resources from native people. See Ireland. See North America. And the death of millions of people from war and disease. British people will die from war and disease. Europeans will die from war and disease. Non-Europeans. In India. In Africa in Asia, in East Asia, in the New World, will all die from war and disease brought by the British. As we talked about in our slavery section, it is the British takeover of the slave trade that industrializes it, that skyrockets the demand, that skyrockets the movement of peoples. It's not that the slave trade didn't exist under the Spanish and the Portuguese is that the British industrialized it and built an entire fiscal system on it which then built a military system. And so what are our results? Money equal to professionalization training, technology, experience. We have our modern military which is full-time it's standardized it is professional. People who go into military, that's their job. That's what they do. All of that to quality for, for England, which was better than France's quantity. Marlborough, victory at Blenheim. Wellington at Waterloo. They win against France despite their smaller armies. In fact, we see this in the exception, which is the lack of quality in the American Revolution. They lose... Despite the overwhelming size and force. The army of the American colonies is never up to the size, much less the quality of the British professional soldier. But the lack of quality of their generals, of their orficial equaled defeat. Like if, the Ameri- if Americans had to fight Wellington, I mean, or Marlborough, or Wolfe, who conquered Canada, like, we'd all be British. We'd all have use in all of our words. That's the way that would work. Like, we were lucky we were against Burgoyne. Cornwallis, who will end up outside of the British army, He'll get hired by the British East India Company and will do well in remake his reputation in India. He's one of the great commanders in India. But we got real lucky we weren't finding Wellington. He would have captured Washington at Long Island. So, what are. So these victories equaled empire. That empire equaled wealth. Especially for the investor class. Look at our maps. If you're watching the video, we have 25% of the world's landmass is owned by the British by 1900. India. A big strip of the Nile in Africa all the way to South Africa. And on the right, look at the houses. On the top is Darcy's house from Pride and Prejudice. That's Darcy's mansion. That's what 10,000 pounds a year of an investor class can make you. On the bottom of that is Downton Abbey. I don't remember how much per year Downton Abbey created. But again that's the investor class these are people who are who are buying bonds in bank of england and then making money on the interest rates and that wealth that empire created cultural power the universities of oxbridge oxford cambridge that are going to create generation after generation of leading scholars the language of english that spreads I am able to get on a plane and go almost anywhere in the world because the British conquered a lot of it. People speak English because the British and then the Americans won the world. That one of the biggest games in the world is cricket and football, i.e. in America, soccer. That London becomes the largest city in the world despite England having a smaller population than France. are all signs of English cultural power. That qual- quality in the military equaled an empire. That empire equaled wealth. That wealth equaled culture. And so by 1860, which is where we'll pick up our industrialization lecture, Europe dominates the world. And industrialization is simply making Europe richer and stronger. It's now—it's na- making it even more efficient. It's making it even more... Uh, Productive and wealthy. The British Empire is the largest, wealthiest, strongest empire on earth. France is second, but its internal divisions are harder to fix. Austria and the Ottoman Empires are too big to fail, but not efficient enough to win. We see that by, by, by the French Revolution. Neither Austria or the Ottomans could tap into the revolution that is the French Revolution in mobilizing na- nationali- nationalism. Nationalism. And mobilizing their citizens. For both of them, they were multi-ethnic countries, so nationalism doesn't work. Nationalism breaks up Austria. Nationalism breaks up the Ottoman Empire, and we'll see that in the 20th century. We'll see that in the late 19th and early 20th century that Austria and the Ottoman Empires are breaking apart because of the nationalism let loose by the French Revolution. Older empires, which are also multi-ethnic empires, simply can't compete. The Mughal India will be overwhelmed by the Europeans fighting there, the Dutch, then the French, then the English. Qing China has uh, a more of an ability to shut itself off from the world, but even it in the 1800s cannot keep out the British. The United States and Russia are massive but underdeveloped nations with potential but also prone to isolationism. So Russia conquers Europe in 1812 and then returns to its borders. It takes a bit of Poland, it does a little this, it does a little that, but then it returns to its borders. It's not projecting power. The United States is manifest destiny heading west, creating itself. Absorbing the French Louisiana, Conquering the Mexican West and then clearing out the Indians in a genocidal series of wars. So the United States has all this massive potential, but then there's the Civil War where Americans murder each other in massive numbers. The United States is not yet interested in conquering the world, in owning an empire. By the 1890s, it will start to think about it. But in 1860, it's about to murder itself in a massive civil war. The middle powers are overwhelmed or they're without colonies and rendered to decline. Switzerland, Sweden, Netherlands, Venice, Genoa, Portugal. All of these states that are important in 1500 are overwhelmed by 1800. And this is the way it is until 1871, with the unification of Germany, which changes everything. It turns the middle of Europe from a bunch of squabbling little dukedoms and bishoprics and and a holy Roman emperor that can't control anything into a massive, wealthy, ethnically homogeneous state in the middle of Europe that borders France, that borders Russia that borders Austria, that borders everyone and has no colonies but has urbanization. It has industrialization. It had all of these pieces that were just divided and now they're being welded together. And suddenly you have a state that's bigger than France right in the middle of Europe. And that, that problem the German problem, as people called it, as diplomats called it, is part two of our course. What does the world do with a Germany that wants to be powerful, that is powerful and wants to exert that power? And we're going to get World War One, and we're going to get World War II out of that. So. That's where we leave off that. I get to do my Swedes. I get to do my Swedish Empire a little bit. So I'm happy about that. I hope you enjoyed. Um, Be safe. Take care. See you soon.